Welcome back to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from the rocky shoreline of the Firth of Forth behind the number 10 green at Ely, and this is Season 3, Episode 3. Today I'm talking with golf renaissance man Jim Hartzell. The North Alabama native is an architect by trade, in the traditional sense, rather than that of golf architecture that this podcast occasionally discusses. Jim happens to be an accomplished golf writer, marrying his skill at finding and telling stories with his lifelong golf passion. Jim has lived an enviable life of golf on both sides of the Atlantic, falling in love with Scottish Lynx golf at an early age, then discovering a similar passion on this side of the pond at the inimitable Sweetens Cove Golf Club in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. It's, ex- it's his experiences there that inspired Jim to write his first book, The Secret Home of Golf, The Authorized History of King Collins Golf, and the Creation of Sweetens Cove. Jim discusses out-of-the-way golf adventures, old-school caddies, unsung heroes of golf construction, and of course, his excellent new book, all with that easy-to-listen-to soft southern drawl. A particular delight to me in this episode, if you stick around to the end of the interview, Jim profiles his 10 favorite blind shot holes in Scotland. It's a special treat and a hell of a to-do list for golf enthusiasts everywhere. Before we get to Jim, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a member of the Talking Golf Network of shows, which you can find at TalkingGolf.com. That's Talking Golf just one G, because two Gs would alert the censorship board and put the whole thing in jeopardy. There you'll find a great list of the best podcasts for serious golfers, including three of my regular favorites. The Good Good Golf Golf Podcast, let me say that again, the Good Good Golf Podcast, the State of the Game Podcast, and Connor Lewis's uh, History of Golf Podcast. You can interact with this show on Twitter at Blind Shots Pod, as well as on Instagram, and I certainly encourage you to please do so. Again, any feedback is appreciated. Tell me you love the show. Tell me that you hate the show, but just tell me. Finally, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is sponsored by me, David Hill, no one else. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. I work with homeowners buying and selling their homes, and also work with investors and businesses on the commercial properties here in central Kentucky. You can find my contact information over at davidhill.rhr.com. If you've got a real estate question, if you want to know what a realtor can do for you, reach out, give me a call, shoot me an email, and we can start a conversation. And with that, take a while to get to know Jim Hartzell. So, Jim, when and where did your... I guess, love story with Scotland, and more specifically, golf in Scotland, if the two loves can be separated. Where did that begin? Well, um, it, it happened when I was pretty young. I, um, my dad's favorite tournament was the Open Championship, uh, the British Open. And I just remember, you know how you kind of, a lot of times you, you fall in love with the same things that your dad loves, and I just remember watching that with him when I was little and um, just being fascinated by the golf courses. I, I played golf. He was a big golfer. My grandfather was, and that we just played golf in our family. But I'd, I'd already been playing since I can remember, but I just remember being fascinated by those courses. And I, I remember in particular, I, I remember a little bit the year that uh, Johnny Miller won when Seve first came on, Seve finished second, I think. At, at, I believe it was Burkdale. And then the next year was Nicholas and Watson at Turnberry. And I just remember watching those last 
few holes with him. You know, you're a little bit younger than me, but, um, you know, golf coverage used to be, you know, Saturday and Sunday, you'd get the last six holes and that was it. You'd get, you know, they, they might start covering it on 12 or the leaders on 12 or 11. And anyway, I just remember watching those last two days with, with Nicholas and Watson and just the course just was burnt out and the ball was just rolling and it just, I don't know, the views, something about it just fascinated me. And I just, I never, that became my favorite tournament. And I started, I mean, when I was pretty young, I started buying books about um, golf in Scotland. And um, I don't know, it just became something that I, that I loved and said I was going to do someday. And then when I got out of college or right when I got out of college, um, my dad took me over there and, uh, or he, he told me he was, he would take me, but he said, I, I could plan the entire trip. He just wanted to go to the old course and he didn't care where else we went. And, um, I, I also love quirky kind of, I don't know, off the beaten path type stuff. And we wound up going to Macrahanish and Denaverty and, um, we did play Carnoustie in the old course and, um, you know, some, some of the more famous ones, but we played a lot at some kind of unknown places back then played Cruden Bay, which I don't know anybody had heard of it back then in America. And, um, I don't know. And we just, we wound up going, I've gone a lot over the years. It just became something that I love and I've, I've written about a lot. And, um, I know you've, you've have a similar love for it, but it's just, you know, it's once you've done it, you, it, it, the, it's so different than golf here. Um, it's just so much, it's so much more the fabric of life there. And, um, you know, you know, it's just part of the, what they do. And I don't know, it's just, it, it becomes something that you look forward to and you're a little bit sad when you get home and, it, <laughs> you know, you, you, you just, you, it's just not the same. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's a different type of golf and it's just something I love. And I love the the courses are beautiful and they're strategic. And um, I mean, you can just study them. You know, I was sitting here waiting to talk to you and, I love the title of your, your podcast, Blind Shots. And I, I just started scribbling down some of my favorite blind shot holes that I've that I played over there. And, uh, you know, just you don't see those type of holes here. I mean, I, this is stuff that um, a lot of people know, but it just um, it's just something that I that I like and enjoy for whatever reason. When I was a kid, I just got became attracted to it. Now, so you have that's a great introduction to golf. You know, I, I don't think I would have learned nearly as much or been as enthusiastic if it weren't for the podcast world. I mean, yes, I would watch the Open, but I would know how many courses would I have learned just by watching the Open over the years? Eight, ten courses. See, I, I'm so impressed that you didn't start out just trophy hunting. Like, okay, you know, Carnoustie and the old – well, Carnoustie is just a – it's the hardest golf course in the world, but it's really fun to play. I describe to people it's like climbing Mount Everest if you're into that. If you're into mountain climbing, you you daydream about playing there because you know how hard it is. But that you kind of went off off script for, you know, basically did not do the typical American tourist thing of, well, we got to hop in the car because we got to run from here to tell you were the, the Grayland Loomis method before there was a Grayland Loomis method. I'm uh, I tip my cap to you. Well, I've got to give a little bit of credit to um, or a lot of credit actually to Michael Bamberger. Um, 
his book to the Lynx land. That's where I found out about Macrahanish and Cruden Bay. And I just, the book is so good. I've, I've given it to probably 50 people over the years. I still put it at the top of my list. And it came out about the time that I was, had gotten out of college and I, uh, he goes to, I don't know if you've ever read it, but he, he, he takes off for a year and goes to caddy on the European tour. And then he winds up going to Scotland and he, and he, he plays, um, Dornock and Cruden Bay and Macrahanish and the old course. But, you know, that's the first time I'd ever heard of Macrahanish and his description of, of it. I just, I was like, I've got to go to this place. I mean, we stayed at Macrahanish for almost a week and I found Denaverty through that because it's about 10, 15 minutes from there, mm-hmm. uh, just, by, just by accident. And I wound up falling in love with it. And so I have to give some credit to that writing kind of inspired me to, you know, I, th- I thought, well, we're going to play the old course. We're going to play Carnoustie. And I think we played the new course and um, maybe even there's a couple other bigger ones we played, but um most of it was at, was at Macaranish and Denaverty and Cruden Bay. And I have to give Michael Bamberger credit for that. Um, you know, at that time, that was the first time that was, it was really pre-internet days. And, you know, or the internet was just barely starting out, but the, you know, you just didn't hear about those places like you do now. I mean, you could buy golf monthly or there was another golf UK golf magazine. I would buy was Golf World International? Golf World, yeah. Okay. Golf World was the other one. You could buy that at, say, Barnes & Noble or something. And in the back, they'd have a – I'd go buy it every month. They'd have a little breakdown of these kind of unknown courses. And um, so I kind of kept a running list of these places I wanted to go. And I've checked – I've gone to a lot of them over the years. I mean, I have my favorites, and, I, you know, I, there's a pl- couple of places I always go to, but – I don't know. I just, I love that. I, I think that I still think that's, and I know a lot of people look at that and say, well, if I'm going and if somebody's going one time, um, I'm certainly, you know, you got to play the old course. You got to play Carnoustie. I mean, if you can play Muirfield, you can play North Barrick. I mean, I, you got to do all that, but if you, if you have time to do some other stuff, I, I, I always tell people to try to work in a couple of these, these places. Cause it's the people that you meet, um, you know, it's just, that's half the fun to me. There, there's an authenticity to their graciousness that is just, it strikes you when you're there for, for some of these out of more out of the way places. I mean, they, the more touristy places, uh, or the, the bigger name courses, they're, they're just fine and they take good care of you. But yeah, there's a, a warmth in some of these other kind of off the beaten path courses and clubs, um, Tell me a little bit. I want to follow up on something you said there. Tell me a little bit about how kind of the West of Scotland uh, over there, Ayrshire and Argyle and uh, Dunbarty and Macrahanish, how that kind of became your, your home base uh, on that side of the Atlantic. Well, the first course I ever played on that trip um, when we went that first time was Presswick and it's on the West coast. It's right by Troon, as you know, and mm-hmm. um, it's, I just loved it. I just, thought this is just incredible um so it started off like that um and i just had such a great experience there and i mean this is one of the greatest clubs in the world but um you know the people could not have been nicer and um i met this caddy that has been a friend of mine for 
30 years now who I've actually written a story about that's coming out pretty soon. Um, just met it, just saw him a few weeks ago when I was there and I just, that it started off like that. And we, we took the ferry over to Aaron and hopped over to Macrohanish and Macrohanish just lived up to everything that Bamberger said. It just, it was just like a golf Mecca of, and you know, funny enough, the people have asked me where I got the title of the book, the secret home of golf. And I really, that first time I went to Macrohanish, I remember telling, um, my dad, I said, well, this is, we, you know, uh, St. Andrews is the home of golf. I said, but this must be the secret home of golf. Cause you know, we were out there and, you know, we'd play all day and there, you know, when you come in the clubhouse, everybody wanted to know how you got, how you got on, what you shot, how, what, what holes you liked. I mean, it's just a golf heaven. And I happened to the place we were staying, the, 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 the gentleman, um, asked me one afternoon, I was standing outside of the house and he said, what are you going to do this afternoon, Jim? I said, well, I'm just going to go play Macrohanish again. I mean, you know how it is over there. It doesn't get dark till 1030 or something. And, um, you can play golf till you literally fall over. And, um, so he said, nah, he said, I know you love it. He said, but you need to go over to Denaverty. He said, it's about 15 minutes from here. He said, just go over there. He said, you don't even need a tea time. And, uh, we went, I, I got my dad we went over there and it was five pounds they had an honesty box on the, on the first tee. And we played that afternoon. We played it twice and we were just blown away. I was completely blown away by it. My dad loved it too, but I just, I'm like, this is unbelievable. Nobody even knows. I don't, I think we might've saw one other person out there that, that now granted it was during the week and I know people work and stuff, but so I just, those places just kind of stuck with me. And uh, there's kind of a rugged, I don't know, beauty to that Western coast that, um, I don't know. I just fell in love with it. And I've just always gone back. Every time I've gone, I've gone to Macaranis and Denaverty and kind of, and Aaron, Aaron, which is, uh, between Presswick and, um, and there is kind of the other place that's where Shishkin is. And so that just kind of, I don't know. I just kind of, I don't know how to explain it other than I just, I just fell in love with those. And, um, you know, even on this last trip, I stayed, I probably, I was there for a month and I stayed down in that area for probably, you know, eight, eight days or eight or nine days. Hey, you're, you're preaching to the choir there. My, my mom's favorite place in the world is the, the Isle of Skye up there a little further North, but that West side, um, just the journey to get there. And then, you know, once you, once you get there, whatever, whatever it is in the water, whatever's coming off those rocks, uh, it seems to grab people and not let go of them. Um, Hey, I went out. I went out to the Isle of Skye golf course. I the I was driving up that way, and that was a great thing about this this last trip is I just really I was over there for so long. I had some stuff planned, obviously, but I had a lot of stuff where I just was like, okay, I'm gonna get up today and I'm gonna do whatever. I'm driving this way, and I'm and I and I thought, you know, I want to go out to the Isle of Skye, and that golf course looks incredible. So I went out there. Um, loved it it wound up being just one of the one of my favorite ones of the trip but you're right it just um there's so many just i don't know i i get on there's so many different areas in scotland where you could just stay and um play golf and now granted i drove around the whole country this past time but i i, I did stay i did have places that i'd stay four nights five nights and you know you could play all the golf you wanted and uh 
I had, it was a luxury. Look, I was lucky to, to be able to stay that long. I mean, I, you know, that's a once in a lifetime thing, but, um, um, I don't know. There's just, and the, the islands on the West coast to continue on that theme. I mean, you know, Askernish is over there. Um, Isle of Harris golf course. We played this course called Isle of Collins that I just cannot get out of my head. It was like playing golf in 1750. I mean, um, and there's just, there's just all these places. Iona, I mean, it's one after another. Now that's not for everybody, but I, I happen to like that kind of, you know, a little bit rough at the edges, wild golf with, you know, quirky stuff. So that's just me. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Give me, give me short and quirky all day. Yeah. Um, I, I tell people just from the, the handful of courses we played on our trip, if I could play, like I said, Carnoustie was like climbing Mount Everest for me, but if I could alternate that with Ely, the, the links that there at Ely and the Earl's Ferry short, no par fives, just quirky, blind, rumpled earth. Yeah, that's um, you've made me a fan and you have increased my desire to go see the west side of Scotland um, because of all that kind of quirk and fun over there. But yeah, um, I'm right there with you. Tell me now. I know I've seen the story advertised. It's the the title of the, the new article is The Last Caddy, correct? Yes. The last caddy, yes. And that's about your man at Presswick. Yes, Chris McBride. He um, he's caddied there for forty-two years, and he's just a genius. I, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, he's 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 a genius. He uh, he could have done anything with his life. I think his brother's a physician, and um, you know, but he wanted he likes being a caddy, and he's got up every day for forty years and rode the train to Presswick. He lives in air, which is, I don't know, five minute train ride from Presswick, but, um, and caddied and he's, 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 he knows his, his knowledge of golf is just un, unbelievable. And his knowledge of Presswick has to be unmatched in the world. I mean, I, it'd been a while since I'd seen him and this, he caddied for me that that was my last round of this trip. And I'm not as good as I used to be, I, but I just, um, and the article talks a lot about when he caddied for me back in the nineties and, and early two thousands. Um, and we were trying to break 80 and just couldn't quite do it. And, um, but he, his knowledge is just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, if he tells you a putt is going to break an inch or two inches or three inches or whatever, that's what it's going to do. Um, I've never seen anybody and he knows the game and you'll see in this article, if you read it, that he, he just, he knows the history of the game. He loves it. Um, you know, he took me out. I'll talk about this in the article, but he took me out after we played. My cousin had gone on this one trip with me. And I think this may be why Chris wound up, he and I wound up being friends. He just started asking me all these random golf history questions, and I knew the answer to almost all of them. And I, he couldn't stump me. I mean, in the, you know, he asked me about like where all the, the one I remember in particular was, could I name all the open championship venues? And I did, even the like obscure ones like Prince's and um, Musselboro, and um, you know, and he just, I think that's he respected that and. Um, I don't know. It's just 
to walk around there with him um, and listen to him talk about the place and the people he's caddied for, you know, if somebody comes to Presswick, which everybody, everybody goes to Presswick at one time or another. I mean, he's caddied for Ben Crenshaw. And um, I mean, the list just goes on. Uh, Payne Stewart. I've got a good story in the article about him caddying for Payne Stewart. He's caddied in the open a couple of times. I've got a real good story about one year when he caddied in the 97 open at Troon. And uh, I've got a good story about that in there. I, he's just a fascinating guy. And I just, uh, you know, it always makes me, I don't know, it makes me happy to know that he's there. And I, I call it the last caddy because, you know, that type of caddy is dying out. You know, just somebody that they've caddied at one place their entire life. You know, he had offers to go on the European tour and several, and he, I asked him why he never did it. And he said, I just didn't want to do, I, he said, I, I like being at home. I don't, I, you know, I'm five minutes from where I work. And, you know, he said, I just never wanted to do it. I just love Presswick. And he said through Presswick, I've got to do a lot of other things. And so I, just that type of old school caddy that um, truly knows the game. And, you know, he watches you hit a couple of shots and, it's just so much fun, David, because, um, you know, I, I didn't – I mean, I played okay that last time, but I I, bur I birdied the 17th hole, which is one of the greatest holes in the world, the Alps, and I'll never forget it. Um, you know, we were sitting there in the fairway. I hit a good drive, which you got to do on that hole. Somehow I got it in the fairway. If you're not in the fairway, you make a 10 on that hole. And um, we're standing there, and I, I'm like, Chris, I don't know. And he said, I think you need to hit a 7. I said, okay. And as soon as I hit it, he said, shot. And that, took, you know, when a caddy says that, that's the highest compliment <laughs> that they can give you. Right. He, said, he said, that's going to be close. And we climbed up over that hill and it was about 12 feet from the hole. And Chris was, uh, I know I could tell he wanted me to make the putt so bad. I wanted to make it, but he just, he read that thing from every angle. And he said, Jim, he said, if you hit it right here on the spot, he said, you know, with the right speed, it'll go in. And I hit it and somehow it went in and he came over and, and shook my hand and um, we kind of hugged each other. And it was just, I don't know, it was just, <laughs> you know, it was just that it, it, it's like I've told people, you know, I don't even care what I shot the rest of the day. I mean, I, you know, I birdied the 17th at Presswick and that experience with him and um, somebody that knows that course. Um, but I, I'm glad that the story's coming out. I've, I've had, I've wanted to write it for a long time and, I've written about him a little bit in some of just here and there, but never in this in depth. And I'm, I'm thankful for the Lynx diary for, um, you know, they, they've, they've got some beautiful photographs to go with it. And uh, so, yeah, that one's coming out Their their book. Uh, well, it's on, it's on sale right now. So it, it should be, I think I'll it's plug that I'll plug that in the show notes for people for the, the links okay. diaries where they can find the story and, and find more information out about that publication. That's a very well, I appreciate that. It's a really good one. These guys, um, you know, they started it during the pandemic and this is the third issue and they're all very talented, you know, uh, photographers and other, they do other things, writing and, um, but I'm really impressed with it. And I, they just, you know how it is. Cause I know you, you write some and um, it's hard to get people to, um, to break into it. I mean, it's really difficult. And um, you know, I had a couple of stories that I'd sent to 
I don't know, three, four, five places and got just not even a response or maybe a uh, just kind of <laughs> we're not interested. And, um, you know, I sent them one of my stories um, and they just loved it. And, uh, you know, they I'm writing I'm writing one for their fourth issue already from. Uh, so, you know, I think you just got to find um, the right fit for people that that enjoy your writing style. And, um, but I do, I, I would appreciate that. Cause it's a, oh, it's, sure. a it's a really good book and uh, they're real, they're good guys. And I, I've met, I got to meet, um, I played with Kenny, one of the guys at Panmere when I was over there last month, we had a good time. And um, so I've enjoyed that, that relationship. That's supposed to be a real gem of a little course, but yes, once you get in, once you get guys that you can work with that can help edit and and help you kind of create a story and and you have a good relationship with, man, that's that that's a decade or two uh, if you're lucky. Uh, where well, you, you know, just keep, thought, keep helping each other. I this, like this story about Chris McBride. I mean, I, I just thought it was, of course, you're you're biased for the, your own things that you like, but. I just thought it was great. And I sent it to two or three places, not the full story, but like what I wanted to write about. And there was just no interest. And um, when I sent it to them, they were like, this is great. This is one of the best stories we've ever had. And, you know, so it just, it, I think, you know, you have to stick with it and, um, you know, and I've, and I've written, I've written for some other things too. And I've, and, and I'm hoping to keep doing that, but, you know, you just got to find the right fit. And, um, you know, I think there's a place for a lot of different, a lot of different stories and, and things, but that, this one is one of my favorites that I've written. I, I just, I love Chris and, um, we text each other probably once a week and he's, he loves American golf. He's always, he follows the American tour really closely. And he's always, I think he, I think he puts a few pounds on the, <laughs> on the American tour at, at Ladbrokes, but, uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> well, of course, of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, well, well, who, who would have figured a guy that likes quirky out of the way golf courses ends up with a, a, a little bit of a quirky underdog publication. That's, you know, not, not telling the same 10 swing tips with the same three instructors and covering the same tour from the same angles, everybody else. I, I, and yeah, look, we're, there's, we're lucky now because I, I mean, I, I saw where you wrote a good story for McKellar, which is a great magazine and, uh, you know, golfers journal is mm-hmm. so good. And I mean, there's, we're in a good, as far as people that I like the, I'm a little bit different, I guess. I like the literary leaning side of things. And, um, we're in so a golden, I, we're in a golden age of, for that, Jim. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm firmly convinced of that. Yeah. I agree with you. And because you're right. I mean, a few years ago, you didn't have that. I mean, I remember a magazine maybe in the nineties, I'll never think of the name of it that tried it. And then there's a few issues. I wish I could find one of them and it was really good, but it just kind of faded away. So I've been real happy to see golfers journal and McKellar and now like the links diary and that caddy magazine from Australia is, is a good one. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're and, and golf, I've said this, on some other podcasts, but golf is the most literary sport to me. I mean, you know, as far as writing, you know, you've got so many great writers and, uh, it just lends itself to that. Um, you know, baseball might be the second one or it used to be, but uh, to, to me, golf has the best 
history of that and 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 you know some of the best writers so uh, i think we are in a we're in a lucky time for people that enjoy reading and i still like i love reading and i like reading real like actual reading material and um you know um my books i think we're gonna have the ebook well i know we're gonna have the ebook come out but i i i, I still encourage people to buy the <laughs> the real the real thing if they can well speaking of good writing and real reading material it's from back nine press i'm holding my copy right here uh it's called the secret it will shift gears into that the secret home of golf it's the authorized history of king collins golf and the creation of sweden's cove um before we dive into the the text for for people that haven't been there who haven't maybe haven't heard of it for maybe my non-golfing mom, who is a, a, hi mom. She is a loyal podcast listener. Um, describe Sweeten's Cove for me. Well, you know, for me, it kind of ties back into the Scotland theme because, um, you know, I had kind of, I mentioned that I would go on these trips and I'd come home and I'd be depressed because I'd go play these six hour rounds and, you know, play in scrambles for work and, um, and I had a long period of time where I was really devoted to my son's sporting golf and baseball and all the stuff that they did. So I didn't play as much during that time. And you know, that with kids that it gets, and that, and rightfully so that's, that's the way it, it should be. But, um, I had started my older, my middle son really got into playing a lot. And, um, he, I don't know, it's, in 2016 he sent me the fried egg podcasts that had rob on there rob collins who designed sweetens cove and um i'd never heard of it david and i mean i live you know i live an hour and a half from from there which is not that far being a golf nut you know and never heard of it and uh so i listened to that podcast and we went up there and I just fell in love with it. And it reminds me, it reminded me of, and I say this in the book, but it reminded me of like that first time of driving up to Macrohanish or to Cruden Bay and you drive up, you're, you're going through this kind of winding countryside or this winding road. And all of a sudden you come over this hill or you come around the corner and there's this golf course just sitting there. It's totally unexpected. It's kind of spread out in front of you. And you're like, what in the world, you know, and I immediately, you get out of the car and you're like, this, what? It's almost doesn't look real the first time. And I'm, I, you know, I go over overboard maybe a little bit, but I, I don't think I do. I mean, I just, the place got me back to playing golf a lot. Um, I just, the first time we played it, um, you know, it reminded me of playing in Scotland. You know, it's not by the ocean, but it had that feel of, uh, just hitting shots on the ground and hitting whatever kind of shot you wanted and, um, you know, playing um, just different kind of shots off mounds. And um, and it's beautiful. It's in a beautiful valley that's very unique. And um, so it's just different. I mean, it's, it's – it's, and it was really different then in 2016 because there was nobody out there. I mean, you know, and you can, you'll see this in the book or if you haven't – once you get into it, you know, they just barely made it. It's a miracle they made it. And that's really, that's really one of the reasons I wrote the book. I mean, those first few years, there was nobody out there. I mean, they tried to South Pittsburgh is just one of your typical little Southern small towns that you see in Alabama or North Florida or 
South Tennessee or Kentucky or anywhere. Mm -hmm. You've got the lot, you've got the, the lodge cast iron skillet plates and that's about it. That's about it. There's a U.S. stove factory, which is just outside of town, but that, that's the two things. And, um, but this valley, this cove is just so, it's just beautiful. It's kind of surrounded on all sides by this, by these hit, by these mountains. And, um, I don't know. I just, that first time we played 36, me and my son and, um, driving home, we were just, we couldn't stop talking about it. We were just talking about all these shots we'd hit and laughing and, that first day, I just remember being out there and hearing people, the few people that were out there just uh, laughing after a shot they'd hit. And, you know, you kind of, it reminded me of the old course in, in the way, if you, you, you played the old when you were, you went, right? We did. Okay. You know how, when you're out on the old course, you kind of see people progressing around the course. There's all, there's, there's a sort of this constant movement of people in the distance or I, it's just this feeling of like, okay, I see them on 11 or I see them on 12 or I, I don't know. And Sweden's was kind of like that too. And, uh, it is like that. And I just remember having this feeling of, um, you know, we had so much fun and we just kept talking about it and we just started going and every weekend and I met Rob after like two trips and we got to be friends and, um, you know, I just, the more I got into it, um, and he asked me to, that they they don't have this category anymore but they had a membership category and he asked me to join and um um it's, it's because it's because of you guys that the place kept going i mean that was a, a small commitment to at least take <laughs> to well, keep to keep that place moving it, forward the valid point you know that's part of the story that's just fascinating in that they didn't have money for advertising. They tried to do a couple of uh, radio ads and TV ads in Chattanooga. I think they did some trade publication stuff. None of it did any good. Um, and, you know, and it just kind of developed strangely through a little bit on Instagram and Twitter, you know, posting pictures, just having fun, just really joking about Because really Rob and Patrick, who was the Patrick Boyd, who was the general manager, you know, they were desperate to get people out there. I mean, they were just hemorrhaging money. They couldn't keep the place. They couldn't, I mean, Patrick didn't take a salary the first year that he was out there. Um, and, you know, how they, you know, Rob and his brother and his brother gave him money. is It's just the, the hole that was being dug to keep that place going was one that he would have never gotten out of. I mean, and he'll, he'll tell you, and I've, I've, I've said it in the book, but he's like, if this, he, I think he says to me one time that if this place is going down, I'm going down with it. I mean, that's how strongly he believed in it and how, how good he thought it, it was and is. And, um, you know, they, so they, you know, they got a little bit of traction and people, you know, I give more credit to people like Trey Moon and John Allen and Jeff Howard and some other ones that were a little bit even ahead of me. And, you know, and yeah, and I, we all started telling people about it and posting pictures and saying how much fun we had and how much we loved it. And, you know, then they had this, they had this New York times article that came out in 2017 that Dylan DeShare wrote. And that was really kind of the first main turning point that allowed them to, to really even make it through 2017 
And that's interesting. That's an interesting story in the book, how Rob met Dylan Desaire just by accident. I mean, there's so many like random things that happen in the story that have contributed to it, um, you know, to, to the survival. Um, and once it was in that, you know, people started coming from, Rob tells a story about meeting two uh, um, Wingfoot or Baltusrol members out there, and they'd flown down just to play um, Sweetens Cove because they read the New York Times story, and they loved it. And I mean, and there's you'd be shocked at some of the people, or maybe you wouldn't, that, no. have, that have played that golf course. I mean, it just it's I mean, people like members of Augusta, and just it's crazy stuff, and. Uh, <laughs> For people that don't know, but we skipped over this. This is a nine-hole golf course stuck in a floodplain down in rural. I guess, yeah, I guess South Pittsburgh is rural. It's far enough away from Chattanooga. It's what thirty-five minutes from downtown Chattanooga, right there at the tri where the three states meet. Yes, it's about that far. I mean, you'd never be able to drive it in thirty-five minutes, but it's it's that's that's it should be about that far but it, it you feel like you're out in the country you are out in the country once you yeah. get out there's a sign that says beware of farm equipment or beware of golf equipment on the road because the road is so narrow yeah to get to get to it um no that that would be the fun thing I, i've enjoyed about the book is that it's i got a couple of questions so i'm gonna unfold them as best i can okay it, it's a it's a process story it's the construction story it is a love story. It's a historical record. So you told me how the book got started. Is there something, I don't want to give away all of it, but is there something in there that you're particularly proud to present to the reader? A story or an anecdote that you're happy, you're particularly and specifically happy that it's now preserved for history, that it's not just lost to the sand. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I mean, um, because it was when I when I started writing it, I didn't know. I made an outline, and you know, I'm an architect um, in my normal job, and um, so I'm very fascinated by construction. And I knew I wanted to talk a lot about the construction. And, and you, if you if you've been reading it, you know, I get into a lot of the details about mm -hmm. construction, which I found fascinating, and I think a lot of people that like golf course architecture would. But I wanted the book not just to be about that. I wanted it to be really about the story of Rob getting surviving this and how he was able to how this place made it. And but and all that stuff kind of worked out. And it, I think it's the book is got technical aspects, but it's also got the love story aspects, like you mentioned, of you know, it's kind of a love letter to the to the place. Um, but one part that I really I'm glad that I got in there for some reason it's really the chapter two talking about the old golf course that was there <laughs> Sequatchie Valley and is it, don't let me butcher this is the Thomas family that the Thomas family okay uh, yeah they they had bought the golf course they had they had grown up or Mr. Thomas had played there most of his life and loved it and it was literally a homemade country golf course the kind of which are are really rapidly disappearing from the planet but there used to be one in every county yeah there used to be one in every county there was one in our county here that I, my high school golf team played at it's gone now um there 
so this is what this place was, and it was it was loved by the community. Um, and you know there was a there was a core group of people that played out there, and I don't know just interviewing um, Stephen Thomas and a couple of the other um, Reese Thomas and 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 some other people that played out there, and how much that place meant to them because I'd I'd always heard and it's true enough I mean I'd, I'd heard that it was the worst golf course in the world well <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily. I don't look at stuff necessarily that way because I, I remember that course where we played a lot of our high school golf on and how much fun we had out there. Um, yeah, it was a homemade golf course, but there was a lot of people that enjoyed that. And um, I, I, I'm glad that that got told that, that how much that meant to people and kind of what it was like out there. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a few pictures in the book of, um, you know, what it looked like. Um, before and it was look it was a don't undersell that you've got it right there in the middle of the book the basically the the crime scene before and after photos and it's it's incredible i was really happy with i I appreciate you saying that i was happy how that turned out because i was able for the most part to get the exact same perspective on kind of a before and after And, and like a lot of them when you look at it you almost don't even you, unless you see like a mountain in the distance or in some cases you can pick out one tree. Like one of my favorites is the third hole, which famously has a, has a tree right in front of the green. Um, and you can kind of pick out that tree back in a fence line. That's way back in the distance of this picture, but that's kind of your only frame of reference that, that tie the two together. So that, I, that was, I was really happy how that turned out because it, you know, to, to, when you look at that one perspective and see what it wound up being, the fifth hole, for example, I mean, I, I looked at that picture the first time I found that picture. I looked at it for 30 minutes before I was able to orient myself to where I was. And I, you can finally pick out like the ghost. There's a ghost tree, they call it, between the, it's a dead tree between three and five. And you can see it in that picture. It's alive. It's, it's uh, you know, um, and you, so you can kind of orient yourself. And when you finally do that, you're like, oh, my gosh, it, it's uh, so, you know, they, you know, I love a, a lot of the stuff I love and we that, we that we talked about in Scotland are places where, you know, not an ounce of dirt was moved to, to build the golf course. Um, you know, Sweden's Cove, they moved 300,000 cubic yards of dirt to build this place. And but. The, the, what what makes one reason it's so good is it looks like it's been there a hundred years. And I, you know, I, that's when I first started talking to Rob, I was, even before I started writing the book, I was like, man, I'm so impressed that this place looks the way that it does because you've been to a lot of places, David. I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy for places to look fake and manufactured, mm-hmm. you know, when things have been, when they've been created out of the clear blue sky and, you know, th- that's what they did. I mean, um, you know. Well, I'm so glad you you included kind of the ballad of Gus in the, the early half of the, the first half of the book and, and what, you know, having an experienced shaper, you know, for, for lack of a, a technical term, a bulldozer operator that knew what he was doing. Yeah. And kind of how that, that part of the process story, because I saw that down in Park Mammoth, the way that, you know, two young architects that could operate equipment and did 
know, I, I've seen Brian and, and Colton both on it, but you know, to, to see them interact for me, it took me right back to watching Park Mammoth be built, reading the, the first several chapters of the Secret Home of Golf, because that's on my periodic visits to check in with those guys, seeing the way they interacted with their shapers and their staff and all the different contractors and kind of managing that symphony while keeping, you know, both eyes firmly on the big picture of of getting the even the smallest little details right. It, it's for me now, I, I'm probably a very small percentage of the audience, maybe. Uh, but yeah, just to he, kind of see how Rod to read how Rob describes that process coming in and to be able to grab so much of, uh, you know, good quotes from, from Gus Grantham and, and kind of how, what he was thinking through the well, process is just fascinating. Yeah. He was a character and I, he, uh, Rob gives him a lot of credit and, you know, you couldn't have two more different people. I mean, Rob is this artistic, um, you know, he has a literary degree from Sewan or art history degree. And, you know, um, Gus is this country guy from Florida, North Florida that got into building golf courses by accident and wound up doing it his whole life. And, and, um, you know, the, the interaction when, when, um, Rob is trying to tell him how he wants something to be. And, um, Gus interprets it. I mean, I, that was fascinating to me too. And he, he, he was so, I, I interviewed him for a long time. He was, and I left out, I could have probably have a expanded edition of some of the stuff he said, but, um, he worked, he did a lot of work for Nicholas and, um, you know, Jack gets criticized a lot. And I mean, we all, we all have our favorites. We all have our favorites. We all like things. And I, I try not to be, I mean, I like certain things. You like certain things. And I, I try to have an open mind. And I look, Jack Nicholas was my hero when I was growing up. But to hear Gus talk about him, and there's one story in particular that I just almost moved me to tears. Where, and Gus was about to cry when I was interviewing him about Jack giving him credit for this whole up in, I think it was up in Pinehurst some of, on a course they worked on. And um, I don't know. I just, uh, I like to hear stories like that and the experiences. And, you know, Tad King, who's kind of the silent partner with Rob, Tad is such a good guy, and he's such a genius at green, at, at finishing greens. I mean, he's probably, and, and construction. I mean, Tad knows construction. Uh, he knows how to manage construction. He's managed all these huge products in just, you know, Morocco and um, Portugal and just everywhere. Uh, but he's also a genius at, at, at finishing greens. And But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say a lot. He's kind of a soft-spoken guy. But to hear some of his stories, too, and some of the things that he worked on that he learned from, he worked on that concession course, the, the, the Nicholas and Tony Jacklin course. Uh, and some of the stories he told from learning from working on that. And uh, I was just fascinated by that stuff and um, how they've all kind of learned and came together to, and Rob had his own ideas and he'll tell you that he was, he was inexperienced when he started this. He'd worked for Gary player design for a couple of years, two or three years. And he worked for another golf course architect up in North Carolina for a while. Um, but, you know, he had to learn a lot from Gus. And um, it's just like I tell people um, my, in my own career as an architect, when you get out of school, you don't really know anything. I mean, you, you know theoretical stuff, but, you know, 
I learned more. The first product that I was ever made in charge of was a baseball stadium and um, a pretty nice one for a, a college here in Alabama. And I learned, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, the, the office was so busy that they had, they had to give a younger guy, they had to give me the project because we just had so much work. And this contractor kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot of stuff in the field that I didn't know anything about. So I think there was a lot of that with Gus and Rob and Tad and, um, you know, a lot of learning on Rob's part. And uh, so I look out and I, I love talking to guys like that. I, I think uh, those guys need the same credit um, or they need the credit for what they did. And, and a lot of times, and you'll see this, you know, I've talked to Rob, he's working on this landman course, you know, the, a core, a golf course is so big, David. And I mean, you know, you can't just stand there as the architect the whole time and say, okay, I want this like this. You have to kind of give some general directions, you know, and say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'd really like. And sometimes some of these ideas or the, the development of these ideas are, are by people like Gus. And like you say, the guys that you, that you watched out there in Kentucky, um, they take these concepts and really come up with some of their own um, ideas. So I hope that comes across in the book. Um, oh, it does for sure. And, you know, as we're in kind of the golden age of, of golf storytelling right now, I think we're because of some of the popular work um, like the fried egg, like Derek Duncan's podcast, feed the ball. We, we know the names of some of those people much more than we ever would have 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, we know who Dave Proctor is. We know Dave Axlin. We know, uh, you know, guys that worked for Corn Crenshaw, kind of the, the valued shapers that, you know, otherwise they didn't show up because their name's not on the, the shingle above the door. People would never know their names until they, you know, maybe tried to have a go at it if they got, you know, in this era of how many new courses are being built. Um, I think yeah. we're, luck we're lucky in that respect that the storytelling has evolved to the point that we know who some of those people are and they, they do get recognized. Yeah. And I just, I, I, for whatever reason, I enjoy that part of it. I like hearing about why something was done a certain way or what you were thinking, or, you know, for example, some of the stuff at Sweden's happened because of um, trying to solve some drainage issues or, or, you know, just whatever. I mean, I, I like how it's the same thing in architecture. Sometimes the decisions you make on the design are based on the site conditions and not necessarily what maybe the owner wants exactly. I mean, things kind of, they, de they develop through the, the site conditions. And so I, I, that part of it, I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, I also enjoyed the kind of the part where it kind of developed and survived and, um, talking to Patrick a lot, Patrick Boyd, who I've said, is kind of the main unsung hero of, of the Sweetens Cove story. And, you know, Patrick is in the golf industry now. He, he, um, he I was wondering where with, he is now. Yeah. He works with, uh, national custom, um, works, the golf, they make golf clubs and, um, he has his own, uh, feral company, the, the little mm -hmm. thing on the end of the, the on golf clubs and he does well with it. But, um, he, he has deserves so much credit um, 
you know, I've said this, but it's worth repeating. Like the first time we went up there, um, I had called and talked to him. I didn't know who he was, but he's the one I had talked to. And of course I didn't know. I thought we needed a tea time and I got a tea time and we got about halfway up there that day and it was just pouring down rain. And he called me on my, he had my cell phone number. He must've saved it from when I called up there. And he said, look, I, I don't think y'all should come up here. It's really starting to flood. He said, I'm probably gonna have to close the course. I didn't want you to drive all the way up here. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And I just remember thinking, and I've told this story several times, but I just, it stuck with me. Like who does that? I mean, who, when, and when have you been going to play golf somewhere and the, the, the general manager calls you and says, Oh, look, I don't want you to drive all the way from your house. Cause it's, it, we're going to be closed. So I thought, well, we're going to go back. I'm definitely going to go back. And so when we went the next time, you know, he remembered that whole thing and he wound up charging us. He said, I feel bad that, that y'all drove a little bit of ways up here and didn't get to play. He said, I'm going to charge you half price for all day. And I, that was very, that was very smart on his part. I, he was being nice, I know, but he also could recognize people might love this golf course and he might he was giving them a chance to to experience it and fall in love with it and then help develop the the market for it so you know i've heard stories countless stories of other people where he did the same thing and you know first time they're out there and he's like oh don't worry about it just give me 15 dollars and you know um and these people wound up being devoted you know, followers of Sweetens Cove. So, um, he does, he deserves a lot of credit for getting it. Um, you know, and he, he, he stayed until right about the time that, um, that was late 2018. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm, I write a lot about him in the book and I think he deserves a lot of credit too. He does. Let me ask you this. Have you got Rob did a similar thing for me last year and I'll, I'll wrap up a long way around to get into that here in a minute. Um, have you gotten different feedback from people and think about this different feedback, or do you think the book lands differently for, you know, kind of you OG members for the, what you'd consider regulars and, and the ringer crowd versus someone like me that has actually not been able to get onto Sweden's Cove yet? Well, um, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of messages from people that are not part of those groups at all that love the book and have told me how much they love it and have read it before they've gone out there. They've, they've said that they just, and people have asked me, should I read it before I play? And I'm kind of in the middle on that. I, I, I think, well, by all means you should buy it and then you save it for after you get down there. That that's the answer. Jim. <laughs> exactly. You got, you got to buy it. But uh, you know, I think, I think people, that love the course, love this book, whether they, um, you know, whether they were involved in those, those things or not. I mean, you know, I do talk about that first ringer event a little bit just because that was where I got the idea to write the book. Um, cause Rob just got so emotional at that thing and talking about, he thought the course had finally made it and he couldn't believe that, you know, that people had come to play this course for two or three days and, it just really was touching. And that's when I really got the idea to do this, but, but no, I think I've heard from probably more people that are not part of those groups. Um, 
since I've written this book. Um, I mean, I bet I get three or four emails a week from people just telling me how much they enjoyed it and, you know, they've played it and they, they didn't know a lot of the story and, you know, so it's just been, that part of it has been very rewarding because I, I, I wanted it to be for everybody. And, you know, I think, I think a few of these OG members deserve a lot of credit just because I think they were the only ones going up there for a long time and, and the only ones trying to get the word out. And, um, but I found that th that group is a very humble group and, you know, they don't want a lot of credit either. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think, I think it appeals to, I think it appeals to, to anybody that likes golf, golf course architecture, because I tried to make it a story that, you know, covered all that, that different stuff. You did. I mean, I, there were, this is, when I was reading it, I was like, this feels a little bit like there are parts that are especially the construction stories that like, this feels a little bit like Hunter. This feels a little bit like George Thomas and, you know, the kind of the, it, just talking about the specific holes and, and the layering that went into the construction story. It was so for someone that hadn't been there that, you know, doesn't, I don't know it, you and I crossed paths almost that when we were down there, uh, last February, we went you out, we, out didn't you? yeah, we couldn't, well, we got frozen out. We couldn't okay. play. It was that late frost in February. Okay. So one morning we had some time before we were due over at black Creek, which that's how Rob hooked me in as a future loyal customer. Um, because he saved our trip. We just moved venues and he, he contacted Mr. Stein and we ended up having two of the, two of my favorite days in golf, just over there messing around on, on black Creek. Um, which is, a, which is a very fun golf course. Oh, it is. It, basically I was too cheap. Yeah. We were going to lose the, we were going to lose the rental on the, the cabin up there above the river. And I was just kind of lamenting that one day. And all of a sudden we've got a, a reservation and like I said, had a great trip. So we snuck out, I say that to say we snuck out to um, Sweetens and just kind of walked around the, the the parking lot and over to the the little pavilion. Well, then just looked. I was like, I, I just wanted to see it, and you could see how different it was. And so, but not knowing other than maybe that ninth green for someone like me that doesn't know the course that hadn't even been able to walk it, it still is an entertaining and and a it is a read that grabs you. Um, so the kudos on the storytelling, Jim. Well, thank you. I, I want to circle back to one thing that those we're talking about kind of those early groups, the what you'd call the early adopters and the, the original members out there. I didn't get that group for a long time. And just bear with me. I, I wondered. I'm always skeptical of true believers. That's just the cynic in me. And I've mm -hmm. never I've never been anywhere. Uh, maybe until my Scotland trip, but I've never been anywhere that anytime you brought up Anytime I brought up Sweden's with somebody that had been there to a man, I got the same response. Like, Oh, you got to get down there. Don't go down there without me. I want to show you around. Like it was almost literally that sentence to a man. And, you know, and so that always made me skeptical. It was like, why, why can't I go down there and experience it for myself? And, and then it kind of, I, I don't know if just over time, I met enough people that had been down there or, or maybe me going to Scotland kind of, it clicked in my head, but just the, the, the the people that were in on it early were so proud of what they had found down there. That's it. Yeah, they 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 are, and they I I don't do it as much as I did a few years ago, but I don't know how many times 
I would get a message on Twitter or Instagram from somebody I had never met. And they'd be like, Hey, Jim, I'm coming down here. Will you meet me out? Would you mind meeting me out there and playing nine holes? And I did that a lot, David, and I enjoyed it. I met, and I, you know, you rarely meet bad people through golf. I mean, I'm sure there are, and I know there are, but if somebody is going to take the time to ask you to do that, um, generally they're pretty sincere. And it's, there's just something about, and it was always, it's always people that had never been there before. And I loved it because I played the course so many times. I and mean, it's like when I was over in Scotland playing with my friend Robbie and um, as many times as I've played Denaverty and Macrahanish now, which is a lot, he still knows it better than me. And he'd be like, now, Jim, you want to play this off of this mound right here? You want to go toward that, that, uh, that bush right there? Uh, or if you hit it over here, it's going to come back down and, I mean, that kind of, that's to me is, I don't know why, but that part of golf is so much fun to me. Um, so I liked going out there and saying on the first hole, look, um, if you're going to get to that pin, you're going to have to hit this shot about 40 yards you know, left of the flag and play it off this mound and let it come down. If you go straight at it, the ball is going to be gone or, you know, 30 yards over the green. And I don't know. I at least from my standpoint, I enjoy that. And it's kind of going back to that caddy aspect of the game. And um, I like that part of golf where you talk about, um, you know, what could happen or what you need to do. Now, whether or not you can hit the shot is a, is another story altogether. But, um, yeah, there's so many places out there like that, like in Scotland where, like, if you don't know where you're hitting it on number four or, or you know, uh, there's every there's there's just so many places where you like if you hit it down the left side number six the ball's going to go in the water and if somebody's never been out there before now granted they could they figure that out on their own real quick but uh, <laughs> you know there's something fun about saying look you know if you you've got to stay right of this line right here or the ball's just going to kick down in the water um so i think there's a lot of that and a lot of just pride of that the place making it and showing it off to people. I mean, you know, some of these guys, you know, they're members at not a, a couple of them are members at really nice golf clubs and they don't, they play at Sweetens way more than they play at uh, yeah. some of these. And I won't, and I mentioned it in the book. I mean, so it doesn't really matter, but you know, one guy in particular, John Allen, who's a good friend of mine, who lives in Huntsville, not far from where I live. John's a member at the ledges, which, look it up, man. It's what's one of the nicest courses in Alabama. I mean, it's, it's probably in the top three or four up on top of a mountain in Huntsville. And he'll tell you, he said he'd rather drive up to, and I've told him, I said, John, you know, you're not going to, you don't mind me saying this dude. And he's like, no, I don't care. I mean, he'd, he'd, he'd <laughs> drive up and play this course and, and he goes by himself a lot now. You know, I talked to him the other day and I, he'd said something on Twitter or something like he was at Sonic in South Pittsburgh or something. And I'm like, well, he must've gone and played. And I called him or talked to him. He's like, yeah, I just want to go up and play. And, um, so I don't know. I, I just, it's, it's interesting to me that it's brought in a group of, of people and the people that are attracted to it, um, have played a lot of different places, but th there's also people that, uh, you know, haven't, it get it, it's, it's a, it's a 
really well-conditioned golf course. And I don't, Brent, the job, the uh, superintendent just is a genius at keeping it in good shape. And I don't, you know, my criteria doesn't always put that at the top, but I mean, that is a, he get, he gets it where, you know, you can play the kind of shots you want. The greens are fast. Um, and it gives people the opportunity to play a really nice golf course, um, for still, if, you know, I think the all day rate is, I don't know what it is now, 125 or something, but I mean, if you're going to go get your day ticket and take your lunch and play all day, play 36, um, you know, have fun. I mean, it's, it's hard to beat in my opinion. Well, I, I hope to find that out. Uh, come springtime. I, I got in on I'm March. There's a couple of days in March. We're going to go see if that weather's any better. You know, there, Jim, I've got a strong emotional connection to several courses. And I always wonder if it's the, the course or the experience or the, the people I played it with, or, you know, that one or two shots that I hit that just stick with me good or bad. Um, but, and it's been, it's fascinating to read how that calculus played out for you at Sweden's Cove. Um, yes. I mean, you, the author, all those things factor into it. I mean, the people that I've met out there, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, it's helped me in this writing career just vastly. I mean, you know, the guy that, that started this publishing company that published my book, I met him at Sweetens Cove. Um, you know, I sent this book to two or three different places and didn't even get a rejection letter. I got one rejection letter. Um, <laughs> And I sent him one chapter and he's like, this is great. I, this is perfect. You know, let's do it. Um, you know, so, I mean, I owe that place a lot. I mean, Rob has done a lot for me. Um, you know, I've met uh, people like Kevin Moore from Athens, Georgia, that's become a really good friend and um, some of the stuff we've done together and what, you know, I, you know, so yes, I, the people, um, I mean, even the people that I've met through um, playing in events out there or through Twitter or Instagram, um, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I've been out there by myself so many times and I'll just be kind of playing around and hitting shots and come up to a group of four or five guys and almost inevitably somebody will say, um, you're not Jim Hartzell, are you? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, because I just saw some pictures that got posted a few minutes ago by Jim. I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't think you've got much of a career in espionage ahead of you, Jim. No, no. <laughs> uh, but it that is fun and, you know, it's different. And um, so the people, the, the experiences, the shots. Um, and again, I just go back to it reminds me of playing in Scotland, which is something I dearly, dearly love. Um, I just did it for a month and I just hated to leave. And I just literally got emotional leaving the place. Cause I just love it so much. And I just, um, you know, so you need a sabbatical after something like that. When I came well, back, I, I didn't touch golf clubs for luckily we got back about, it was Halloween the day we got back. So I, I had an excuse not to, to go play it in golf for a little while and, and let it, gently process through my system everything that i just experienced yeah and you're right and i'm i'm gonna i haven't even played sweetens i'm gonna go play the member guest uh, in a couple of weeks with my middle son and 
I haven't seen a lot of the members in a long time and um, just because of various reasons and I haven't been up there for various reasons, but I, I was trying to finish this book and some other things happened and then I've just, uh, I've been, then I was gone, I took this trip. So I'm gonna be glad to see everybody. And, um, you know, I've met just through Rob going to some of these other places that he's working on. Um, you know, I went up to Landman and walked it with him and Tad and um, that's one, David, that I think you're gonna wanna go to when it opens, I just, um, Oh, I can't wait. I've been been watching, getting everything I can. I got the, you know, some people have Lido fever right now. They can't wait to see what, what the, what gets brought back from the dead up in Wisconsin. I, I'm on the landman train. I can't wait to see what that turns out to be. That's just. I'm gonna you, well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm obviously Rob's a friend of mine and I'm so take what I say with a grain of salt, but um, I have played a lot of great golf courses around the world. I've never been anywhere quite like this. The landscape is just surreal almost. It's like somewhat like some places in Scotland and somewhat like some places in Ireland and somehow a little bit like being out at Ballyneal or Sand Hills, but it's just like not like any of those, if that makes any sense. And it, um, and the wind just howls through there. And um, it just uh, like the day we were out there, um, I went right before they closed down for the year last, last November. And it was about 35, 38 degrees and the wind was blowing. It, it never got below 20 miles an hour. And I, we got to like the third hole walking around and one of the guys, I said something about the wind. He goes, this is the, he said, this is the standard wind. He said, it's not even blowing right now. Um, I just think it's going to be so much fun and so unique. And I think it's going to be one of the best courses in the country. And I, I, Rob sends us pictures every so often and I, you know, they're really, it's come, the grass is coming in and I think they'll be able to, there'll be some play next year, hopefully. Um, but, uh, I just think it's going to be great. And, um, you know, it has a lot of those same principles that he, you know, he, he has some design principles that he kind of adheres to that he, you know, he developed at Sweden's and just through the stuff that he liked. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about it, and ironically in the book about a trip he took to Scotland and some of the stuff he, he took from that. And, um, but yeah, that one's going to be great. And I've, I've met people through that and it's, you know, I've got to meet, um, the no laying up guys at, at Sweden's and they become good friends of mine. I've, I write for them for their website and they've, they've helped me promote my book and, you know, I've just been lucky because I mean, I wouldn't have met those people without that golf course. Um, you know, and it just kind of brings people together, people that love golf and like having a good time and a certain type of golf, you know, you just, you just kind of automatically connect over a place like that. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a story golf needs more of, cause it is the, it is whatever the American perception of golf is the exclusivity and the formality all of that's out the window. This is a place where you come as you are, all are welcome. And the only thing they're super serious about is having fun, as far as I can tell. Now, that's from an outsider's yeah, perspective. Fun. Yeah, wear a T-shirt if you want to. Um, you know, you know, we play. Now, it's changed a little bit, but, I mean, I, I've played in many uh, 12-sums out there <laughs> and had just probably some of the most fun I've ever had. And, you know, it's just like anything else. I mean, it 
it's it's gotten so popular that you know they had to implement the this all day pass system where you know they have a certain number of tea times per day which they had to do and i think was a good idea because when it really started getting popular um there were so many people out there that it was messing up the experience because you know it's part of the fun of that place is playing fast and kind of doing what you want and you know, if you've got three or four groups sitting on the first tee, that doesn't that doesn't do anybody any good. And uh, right. so, I think what they've come up with is a good alternative. And I think the people, at least all the people that I talk to, that get these passes and go out and spend the day, love it and do it two or three times a year or more if they can. Um, and I know it's getting it's been hard. You know, they sell out pretty quickly, but you know they had to, they had to do that, or it just would have been. I mean, it's a nine hole golf course. You can only have so many people out there and where it becomes, you know, just not fun. Cause I mean, nobody likes to sit. Hey, you can't have a, you can't have a three hour round at Sweden's Cove. No, you just really, <laughs> I mean, I've told this story a hundred times, but it was, it was in 19 early. Let's see 2019. And it was after this, you know, it was really getting popular and I went up there on Sunday. I used to always go and still get, I'd go on Sunday, get up on Sunday and do some stuff. And I'm like, I'm just going to drive up to Sweetens and play 18 and I'd get my son and we'd go up there and we would get up there and it took us, it took us two hours and 45 minutes to play nine holes. And I was so sad and depressed about it. And we left. I, I, and I called Rob on the way home and I said, man, I, you know, I don't complain about stuff, but you know, something, this is not right. This is not the, what this is supposed to be. And it's going to ruin it for people. And he said, no, you're right. We've already been thinking about it. And they were already thinking about doing this day pass thing. And they had, and they, it was a good idea because, you know, that day I was like, this is just not, this is not the way this is supposed to be. Um, so anyway, um, and I would love it. You know, they've got another, Oh, there's another 40 acres maybe that's, kind of behind where the shed is and they've talked off and on about putting like a six hole short course out there or something yes short course oh it would be it would be so good i mean it would people would go just for that i mean and it would and I, it would also give people something to do in between um you know you play nine or 18 go do that you know have your lunch come back i mean i, I think it's a great idea rob wants to do it i don't know and I don't know all the details. I mean, they've got an ownership group now that, you know, that they make a lot of those decisions, but um, I think it would just be great. And the, some of the best, ironically, some of the best land movement on the entire place is back behind where the shed is. There's an old barn back there. I don't know if you've looked back there, but just some really kind of dramatic land movement. And um, um, so anyway, I think that would be a good idea. Um I think that could expand the experience a little bit more, but they've done a good job of keeping it as close as possible to that original, you know, idea of you're out. This is a place to come have fun with your friends, you know, play as much as you want. We don't have a lot of frills. Um, although I think maybe you can get a Coke or a, a, a beer in the shed now, which is, um, you know, or water or whatever, uh, which is, you know, nice. And there is a bathroom, there are bathrooms now, which is nice. Um, but you know, that for the longest time that didn't even have that. So, um, and I'm partial, I mean, I, 
I've, a lot of these, and I keep coming back to how we started this on the Scotland stuff, but um, when I was over there this past time, I was always looking for these little shed, golf sheds on the first tee, and I found some of the best ones I've ever seen. I've, and and um, the pictures were fantastic. Oh, they're just, they're great. They're just, I love those things. I mean, you know, some of the, and, and, and some of these places, that is their clubhouse um, person. I mean, that's what they've got. And, you know, the inside of these things are just covered with all these, these scorecard, just, I don't know, it's just incredible little buildings. And um, so I'm partial to those kind of things about golf. And I'm, I'm, I like the kind of the traditional little elements and signs and, the way that blind holes are signaled with bells or traffic lights or submarines, you know, submarine, like submarine periscopes. Yeah. Ely, which, you know, I'm with you on Ely. I mean, in fact, <laughs> one of the, one of the blind holes I wrote down on my list was the 10th at Ely, which I just, I well, that's, hear. that's what I wanted to get at. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to, I've taken up more of your time than I wanted. And that's number one on my list. Cause that, I think that little corner of 10, 11, 12 and 13 at Ely is just some of the most special earth, um, that has been granted to golf uh, that, that exists. Totally agree with you. Uh, so what else made your list? What, what did you scribble down? Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to give you my top 10 blind holes in Scotland. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, Perfect. And some of these people will not have heard of, but that's okay. You can, you can look them up. And I, in fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will, I just now thought of this after we get done with this, I'll, I'll post all 10 of these on, on Instagram and tag you so people can see the whole, but, um, number 10 is the seventh hole at Garlock golf course, golf club, which is this nine hole course up on the West Northwest coast. And it's this little 9,500 yard par three that's completely blind downhill. And all you can see really, you can see the very top of the flag. I take that back. You can see the very top of the flag, just barely. And in the background, all you can see is the beach and the ocean. It reminds me a little bit of the um, seventh hole at Pebble Beach, except it's uh, maybe not quite that scale, but uh, just a great little place. And that hole was just so much fun and beautiful. And anyway, so that's number 10, number nine, it's the fifth hole at Anstruther golf club, which is not far from Ely. It's actually about 10 minutes from Ely. And it's another nine holer that I just dearly love. And, uh, I wrote about it in, um, on no laying up Jake, my other son, and we played 45 holes there one day and the fifth hole at Anstruther is a totally blind 250 yard par three. That's just an impossible hole. I don't know how you would even par it. Um, and I, it's funny in the story, I asked a guy in the clubhouse, I, he, I said, have you ever, I can't remember the exact words, but I said, you know, have you ever parred made a three on number five? And he said, no, because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a par four. <laughs> and, uh, it basically, anyway, it's it's a just a one-off kind of crazy hole. I, I just that I love. The eighth is the seventh hole at Gulsby, which is a course up by Brora and Dornick that I played for the first time on this last trip, and it's a par four that it's one of these par fours, David. That um, you can try to get it. the The shot is you can 
see the hill and you can try to hit over it, but you really can't carry it unless the wind is behind you. So your second shot is completely blind. And it's one of these where you get over the hill and it just goes straight down to the green, kind of like the tent that, um, Ely, I love those kind of holes. Um, so that is a, the seventh is one that a lot of people will probably know. It's the 14th at Cruden Bay, which is one of the famous blind holes Mm -hmm. in the world. And, um, I love it. It gets a lot of criticism, but that green, if they ever do anything to that hole, I will disown that place. I, the, when I, and I love it. I, when I went, when I was there, I was talking to the general manager and he was like, yeah, a lot of the members think we ought to change 14. I'm like, you do not ever change number 14. And I don't think they will, but it, it is a crazy, crazy blind hole, but it's so much fun and it's hard. Um, the sixth one is the sixth at Shishkin, which is on Aaron, and it's called the Shore Hole. And it's it's another one of these that a long hitter, you can't see the green. The green is blind. It's over this hill. And if you got the wind, you can you can drive the green, but you generally don't have the wind. You're going to be short. Then your second shot's completely blind, kind of down to this punch bowl green. That's just I'll post the picture of this green side. It's just incredible. Um, number five is Cullen, the 13th hole at Cullen, which I've also written a good bit about, but Cullen has these weird rock formations, unlike any place I've ever been. Just they're called sea stacks and they're kind of these eroded what's left of the coastline when it got eroded over the glacial period. And this 13 holes is a par three where you're hitting over one of these red rock formations, you can't see anything else. And the green is behind it. It's just craziness, but it's just, I love it. Um, the fourth is at Macrahanis. It's the seventh hole at Macrahanis, which is a great par four. The, the tee shot is not blind. You hit to the base of this hill and the second shot is completely, you can't see anything. You got, you've got an aiming post and, but you've got to know, you don't hit at the aiming post. You really need to be about 30 yards right of it. And um, well, that's not much of an aiming post. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I finally, you know, I've played there. I don't know how many times in this last time I was playing in a tournament. We pl- played in a tournament with my friend, Robbie, who's a member there. It was a best ball and I hit a good drive. And um, I was like, he's like, now look, you want to hit, you really want to hit about 30 yards to the right over here. Cause it's going to come down. And I'm like, are you telling me? I said, I've played here 30 times. I've never known that <laughs> he was right. I, ha- I happened to hit it over there and it kicked down on the front of the green. Um, a great, hole. it's a hard hole, but it's a, it reminds me of a hole at Presswick that I've got on here in a second. But, um, uh, and then the third is the 10th at Ely, which we talked about, which we both love. Um, I just, that hole was just so much fun. It's just, you're right. Being out on that 10th, 11th, 12th at Ely is just, it's really hard to beat. Um, and that hole is just great. If you can, if you can hit a good drive on the right line, you can get it down on the green, uh, depending on the wind. Um, and then number two, I've got the 17th at Presswick. And I tried just to put one, I didn't try to double up on the courses because Presswick's got another couple of holes that could be on here but right. the, the the 17th is the alps which is the oldest uh hole in major championship golf that's still in existence and it's just coming up over that hill I, it's so cool that there's like three there's three rocks on top of the hill 
and um, the caddy will tell you, Chris said, well, now you want to go over the, the left-hand rock for this pin or the, um, and he was right. I hit it right over the, that left-hand rock and it wound up right by the hole. So uh, just a classic hole. And then number one is my favorite course, probably my favorite hole is the fourth at Dunaverty. And Dunaverty had two or three other ones that could have been on here, but the fourth is about 175 yard par three that plays over this massive dune ridge and you can't see anything. And it's got this punch bowl green that is the greatest punch bowl green in, in golf, in my opinion. It's just, it's so much fun. If you get, if you get it over the hill on the right line, it'll just funnel down to the hole. And um, so anyway, I thought that I was, when I was sitting here waiting on you to, or for us to do this meeting, I'm like, I, I love the title of this podcast. So I'm going to, scribble these down real quick but um i'll uh i'll get a, i've got i'll get a 10 pictures together and, and and put them on there but um and there's so many other ones i mean they just uh that's the beauty of scotland is um and i don't and i know people don't, a lot of people don't like that kind of stuff but um to me you know that's part of the fun i mean is there know, any more exciting feeling uh, other than watching your ball funnel on the ground which is you can do that a lot of fun places. Sweden's Cove has a lot of that where you can, you watch the ball on the ground and you get excited or you get terrified depending on how it's going a very close second for me. I don't think there's any more exciting feeling than thinking you hit the shot and cresting whatever is between you and the hole, cresting the hill, the dune going around and that anticipation building waiting to see whether you've pulled it off or not. I totally agree with you. I mean, when I hit that iron shot on the, at Presswick, um, I, Chris said it was perfect and it was good, but you're climbing up over that hill and then seeing that ball sitting there. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, when you hit a drive on the 10th at Ely and you get up over that hill and you're thinking, oh, man, that may run down on the green. I might have an Eagle putt, um, or it may kick left and <laughs> kick into the gorse or something. And you may not have anything. I mean, it just, um, but that's part of the fun of it. And, um, I like that kind of stuff. That's what I like about golf. I like the quirky kind of unpredictable stuff and, um, for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's me. And I think, uh, I think we share some of the same sentiments on that. And I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you, David. I thank you for having me on. And I, uh, and I thank you for letting me promote the book a little bit and, and links diary who, um, you know, and I don't, I, and I'll put plug golfers journal too. I'm, I'm writing something for them. That's a, it'll be a ways before it comes out, but, um, most people know about them that, and they know about McKellar, but, um, give these links diary guys a, a try. Um, Oh, sure. I'll, I'll put all that. It, it's, it's worthy of being promoted, Jim. I, I you don't, I, for listeners, I don't owe Jim a big debt. This isn't getting me square with the bookies or anything. This is stuff. Wor- this is stuff worth reading and experiencing and exploring. And we have, we've ended up right back where we started. So I think that's time. I'm going to virtually send you a handshake, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you for thank sharing, you. sharing your stories. The book is excellent. It's called the secret home of golf. Um, you said, do you think that the ebook is coming soon? I've got a hard copy. Um, oh, I'm yeah. gonna- it is, by the way, it is on Amazon now, um, which, okay. you know, it, it's better for us if people order it from the publisher directly. But 
I know a lot of people order stuff from Amazon and I, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings. If you order it from Amazon, we've already had several orders on Amazon and it was not easy to get it on there. It was a really difficult process. So it is there now, but back press.com is the best way to get it, but it's also on Amazon and I, the ebook may be a few weeks from coming out, but it'll be on there. Just in time for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jim, the book is great. I'm going to shake your hand and have you sign it for me one day. I'm going to pass it around to some friends first. I hope you don't mind. No problem. Uh, but thank you so much. Well, that was great. I could go on and on and on and on with Jim. What with our common love of Scotland and all things quirky and singular in golf. A reminder, links to his article, The Last Caddy, and his wonderful new book, The Secret Home of Golf, are in the show notes for your convenience. You can also find them uh, where this episode is posted over at onebeardedgolfer.com. With the holidays coming up, the book would certainly make a wonderful addition under the tree for yourself or for the golfers in your life. It's available right now at back9press.com. That's back, the number nine, press.com. I hope you'll take a second and check it out. And hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review for the show if you haven't already. Each time someone leaves a five-star rating and review for the pod, each listener will find one extra mint condition orphan golf ball during their next round. I promise. Hey, we're not the Mid-South's number eight rated podcast for nothing, folks. Hope you've enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard, sorry about that. I still can't do anything about it, but I will try to get better next time. I promise. And I hope you will join me the next time here on the Blind Shots Podcast. Until then, stay safe and be smart out there. But do get outside and enjoy part of your day on a golf course. And when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Let, let me get this straight. We just drove it 228 yards. <laughs> what the hell? Why'd you lay up, Fred? <laughs> Did you go five wood? What was, what was that? <laughs>